Welcome to the Six Ways from Sunday podcast. This is our first episode to kick off the fourth season of this show. And the podcast is all about sitting down for casual conversations, usually over a cup of coffee, um, often with Reverend Robin King, who's joining me today, sometimes with guests, but always exploring different human stories of spirituality. So sometimes that's the story of the guest that we have on. Sometimes it's a story that Robin or myself bring to the conversation. Other times it's uh, biblical stories or just stories of things that are going on in our community and, and in our world today. And lots of times it's a mixture of all of that. So what we've got in store for you today, uh, I think is gonna be a really fascinating and, and relevant story for where our world's at today. And first I'll just wanna welcome you back, Robin. Uh, it's Thanks, been, a, been a few weeks since we've done this. Uh, yeah, like last year. The, yeah. The, my sense of time uh, is no really No one really has that right anymore. Now. No, I was thinking of that last night, and this is, in fact, not even just from not even just from now, but and what's going on right now. But uh, last was it last night? Yeah. Okay, I, I saw somebody had posted something, and, and I mentioned this to Lori, and she was like, "Oh, that's super cool." Um, and but it was last night at nine twenty-one. It was the twenty-first minute of the twenty-first hour of the twenty-first day. Yeah. Of, of the twenty-first month of the twenty-first year, the year sorry, of, of the twentieth century, century, and and I was thinking how cool that was. That was super awesome. And wouldn't it be really cool when? And then I thought, oh wait a minute, we missed it. <laughs> Last year would have been the twentieth minute of the twentieth hour of the twentieth day of the twentieth year of the twentieth century. Yeah. Right. Totally missed it. Well, no, because the twentieth century. We're in the 21st century now, and last year we were still in the 21st century. Right. Sorry, I was going with the 20s. Yeah. All so you, you could get quite a few 20s, but this this right now is the only time we, where it extends right into the millennium, like the 21st century as well as the 21st year. But but time. So you have to go back anyway, to then. 1920 to hit the 20 Yeah, but then you got a 19 and it doesn't look as good. That's true. It's not quite as cool. I know, it's that whole weirdness of the century being the number of the century being after the number that's in the number in the you yeah. know what I'm saying. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean, right? Yeah. That that's where I was going with that. So you missed it? So I missed or it. Or did you or did you observe the 212121 last uh, night? I kind of a little bit, but I missed the one last year that right. was the 2020 2020s. Every once in a while these these things come along where someone points it out and I always look at it and think, how did I not know that that was coming up? And not that it I mean really at the end of the day, it's still just another moment, right? There's there's no well, significance it's the same to it, moment, except because all time coexists at the same point in time. Yes, I agree. It's not linear at all. It just kind of coexists. On but our experience of it is linear. Are you sure? And, but we assign these what meanings to vu? these moments. You, you know what I'm getting at. I know. What and you're and this at, yeah. loosely relates to what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> Believe I can't it or not. even imagine how. <laughs> well, uh, as another anecdotal example, though, of this weirdness of time during this pandemic, um, Kelly and I were just talking about uh, her glasses for some reason. And I had it in my mind that this was like a year or two ago that she got these new glasses. And she was like, no, I just got these in July. But this pandemic has felt so long that things that happened just six or eight months ago feel like way longer than that. Yeah, I was even confused by the century myself. So, um, <laughs> but well, yeah, but, but, you know, it's our experience of, it's funny how uh, just the other day I was talking to somebody about this, that our experience of, 
with the pandemic and and you know it just messes with schedule it's not that it messes with time it messes messes bleh, messes with schedule it me apparently i have rented lips today um it messes with schedule not time and the way you know that is how life moments births and deaths don't stop mm. they keep coming and and we're experiencing them now in a context where suddenly we can't share them the way we did. Yeah. And that's not just, that's not just, um, that's not just about, you know, how many people can you have or not have at a funeral? It's about, it's about births as well. It's about, um, um, my, my daughter had a, a baby last November, uh, and, uh, I, his name's Milo and I've seen some wonderful pictures. He's super cute. He was in our Christmas play. He was the baby Jesus. And, uh, I have yet to see him in person. And, and I, like so many people have had that experience, yeah. right? Um, where I have they've two, simply my, my not been Lavender, able to. My, yeah. my sister's baby, we've, we yeah. were going to go and see them. Couldn't do it. Yeah. And we still have yet to, to yeah. meet her or hold her or. 50th yeah. wedding anniversaries, things like that, where so you would normally have huge family gathering and celebrate uh, and not doing that. It's like they're just yeah. going right on by. So how's this for a segue? We all want to get back to life as normal no back, or, or, or to a better place. <laughs> we want things to improve. We want things to change and we want to see the change happen really quickly. Um, there's, there's examples of this where the, our human nature kicks in and wanting that change or that transformation to happen really quickly, such as the rollout of a vaccine that gets announced, the vaccine's been approved, we all, it all gives us this glimmer of hope, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but it can't come fast enough. We want it right away. And of course, we're going to mm. talk about um, the end of an era <laughs> with our neighbors to the south. It was not an end of an era. End of an error. That, that, error. Sure. Yeah. That actually good. That's a good way of saying that. Um, that and uh, yeah, that's another flick of switch, right? I mean, and don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm in fact, I think more people worldwide watched this inauguration than any than any other one, um, simply because simply because people around the world, first of all, wanted to make sure he was gone, um, but also also you know. It, there was so much, not just in Biden's speech, but so much the uh, Amanda Gorman, the poet yeah. uh, laureate, uh, and even the incredible. singing and stuff, the way all of that was handled, the the fantastic classic meme of Bernie sitting there, um, <laughs> all of that stuff is just full of, it was all just full of hope and promise and, you know, um, sunlight in the darkness yeah. um, and, and all of that kind of stuff. And I think people really connected with that because that sure as hell wasn't the theme of the last one. Um, it was even snowing at one point early in the ceremony and then the sun came out. <laughs> Did you notice oh, that? No, you gotta you gotta be careful there because of course, classic moment from Trump's inauguration was that how he how he told people that the rain stopped. Oh really? I don't and remember it didn't. that. <laughs> um but but um that it was it was a great moment and, and don't please, please just absolutely enjoy the moment. Absolutely do enjoy the moment. But it's not like somebody flicked a switch and the world was instantly changed. Uh, it was 
instantly made better, um, but it was not instantly changed. That change is going to come with a lot of work, a lot of hard work, and a lot of willingness on the part of people to be open to uh, understanding that there's a difference between... Uh, there's a difference between holding people responsible and holding people to account for for what has happened and um, revenge. <laughs> for, mm-hmm. You know, um, there's, there's lots of people who uh, I think would very much uh, like for not just Trump, but, and not just his administration, but, you know, the Republican Party and various various people to be uh, held responsible for, for where they brought the nation to. Um, and uh, fair enough, as long as that is done justly and with compassion and mercy. Um, and But we have such a tendency to just kind of go, um, no, <laughs> make him pay. Yeah. You know, and say, I mean, the people, people who have, and, and honestly, good riddance. I'm glad he's gone. Absolutely. But we, we got to stop with the belittling him as a person. Um, it, it, it's just, it needs to stop, right? Because we need, we need to, and, and Biden talked about it, right? Um, that's, that, that's not what brings you unity, Right, um, all of the all of the things that, that we've experienced in the last four years don't bring unity. Yeah. What brings unity is stuff like um, compassion and and grace and uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know all of those those uh, uh, openness to working together. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you don't agree with somebody, you can diversity is a great thing, not an enemy. Yeah, you know, if, the, if the goal is healing, and yeah. If the goal is to um, to reunite the the divide, then I mean, there were so many beautiful lines and examples of yeah. of that in that poem that you were just talking about, where she talks about bridges being built yeah. and let us turn our what does she say? Uh, let us turn our gaze not to what uh, divides us, but uh, what was it now? There was well, even even the ending is is the best the best reminder of all. It's not just about. Uh, uh, being willing to see the light, it's willing to be the light. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, I love that um, line too. The, the, and I'm not. I'm obviously not quoting her directly. Um, but but it's it's that's that's the power is the willing willingness to turn all of that stuff, that hope, and everything into action, mm-hmm. right? And and actually make stuff happen in a way that is going to be um, positive and affirming and creative and. Uh, uh, grow democracy not just um not just restore it but make it more right to be uh, to be better i'm i'm it, i'm not saying it in nearly as nice or a poetic way as well literally anybody at the that made speeches or said anything or saying or did anything um but uh that i think that's the thing is the willingness to understand that you can't just flick a switch there's work to be done. There is. And in order for that work to be done, there needs to be an openness to working together. There needs to be compassion. There needs to be grace. Um, there needs to be a willingness to work for justice, not payback. Would you not agree, though, that that willingness is something that can be turned on like a switch? So the, the willingness is either present or absent, and you can have an environment 
where in which um, I mean, we've, we're so to bring in a Canadian politics story. We're all of a sudden uh, hearing about our Governor General uh, mm. at the Rideau Centre in, in Ottawa uh, resigning over this toxic work culture and workplace that's environment that's been created and bullying and all this horrible stuff going on. We can we can create we can have an energy or a culture or an environment, whatever word you want to use, of just an unwillingness to collaborate, to work together, to forgive, to have grace. And when that decision is made or a commitment is made to strive for that, that willingness, I think, in, within the, uh, that human spirit is something that can be uh, switched on almost like a light switch. And then the fruit of that is going to take years to bear and to, and to see through that change and to do the hard work and to build and restore relationships and uh and bring that healing is a slow process but it's almost like during that inauguration ceremony you could feel the energy was just instantly different uh yes it, and initially just uh hearing you say that uh, initially i was going to say no <laughs> i could tell that. that you that you weren't I wanted to what, say no to that yeah but do you um, get what i'm but saying no i well i no, i'm not going to say no but uh, because i think uh, first of all i think any imagery where there's a flick of a switch is probably not a good imagery but but the point of the flick of the switch is the power is there to bring the light uh to to bring it you've simply opened the connection and maybe maybe that's the way to, uh, you're when you say willingness, I, I initially instantly wanted to say no, um, but, but, but that's no, maybe that maybe willingness is the switch, right. That opens the gate, right. Or, or, or lets the power flow mm -hmm. kind of thing. And, uh, and yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. There was a, uh, a like a 150% difference, uh, in energy um at at that inauguration and there was hardly anybody there right intentionally mm -hmm. but after the previous one where there was such a fuss about you know it was the biggest one ever no we have photographic evidence that it wasn't but after that whole fuss about how many people then that being a big deal it didn't matter this time no it didn't matter at all and that might have also been uh, that might have also been because First of all, they intentionally did it, but secondly, because they knew um, there was a number that they could not ever possibly quantify, which was the millions of people who were watching yeah. around the world, right? Not just Americans, but people around the world, because people were watching. And they weren't just watching, because I'm positive they weren't just watching because they wanted to see that Trump was gone, or they wanted to see the new guy, or, you know, who oddly enough, is the oldest person ever to be elected president. <laughs> um, but, but they wanted to hear him say, and this is the thing is, that I don't think they just wanted to hear him speak. They wanted to hear him say something hopeful. Mm -hmm. They wanted to hear him say something optimistic. They wanted to hear him talk about unity over and over and over again. They wanted to hear that. Um, and I think, bonus, you heard it throughout the, the whole thing. Right. And it wasn't just and, and even in the even in the actions, right, of him taking the oath of office and Kamala Harris taking the oath of office, um, the, the poems, the singing of the national anthem, all that stuff. Um, the people who were there. 
right? Um, even seeing people arrive, all of that, there was an energy in that that was not present four years ago and sure as hell hasn't been present for four years. Mm. Um, and, and that maybe is a switch that's going to change things. The, the thing is, it, it's, uh, okay, so maybe you flick a switch and it turns a light on. Um, in a darkened room, but but you don't see the light. What you see is what the light illuminates, right? Which is what you can now work with. And that's where they're at. Stuff has to be done. Mm. And not just, uh, you know, the, the very first thing, the very first thing he does is he signs a bunch of executive orders, which we all know isn't the way you really want to do that, but it's the most effective way to get it done right now. Yeah. And so he did. And um, but th that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much that needs to be done and so much that's systemic to and, and goes back long before Trump and has nothing to do with Trump um, so much as him actually being a light of his own and helping us illuminate that. <laughs> In thank a way, you very, yep. Thank you very much, Mr. Trump. Racial um, injustice is a prime example. But this is a, so, so this, is the, this is the thing is that I, I think I said to you before we started that um, uh, here... Uh, like in, in the church here, we, we use the Revised Common Lectionary, um, which is a system of a three-year cycle that tells you which readings to use on a particular day, right? And so there's an Old Testament or Hebrew Scripture reading, there's a New Testament or Christian Scripture reading, um, there's a psalm, there's uh, an epistle or, or, you know, another piece as well. But that, um, that three-year cycle was set up, I can't even begin to guess how many years ago, but a long time ago, um, with absolute absolutely no foresight of what might happen in the future. <laughs> and then lo and behold, invariably, something huge happens in the world and somehow whatever the one of the scripture readings that week is going to speak to it. Isn't that um, weird how that it's, happens? It's, it's God moves in mysterious ways. Yeah. It's a mystery. But one of the, one of the um, passages of scripture for this Sunday is, uh, well, one is the story of Jesus uh, in Mark calling the first disciples, right? Where Jesus basically goes to the lake shore. He says, hey, you follow me. And they do. No questions asked. Yeah. They just get up and go. Um, and the other is uh, the story of a piece of the story of Jonah. Um, and I can only assume that initially the people putting the lectionary together were probably thinking to themselves, this is a really good contrast. Jonah doesn't want to do what God wants him to do. He doesn't want to hear the call. Whereas in uh, the, the gospel story, the disciples hear the call and off they go, right? Really good contrast. Except I'm sure most people know Jonah simply because he's the whale guy, right? <laughs> um, the guy who was swallowed by the whale. Yeah. Uh, and and if you knew, know the story from Sunday school, especially, and if you don't, you probably know it by connecting it to you know either Moby Dick or famously the Flintstones, right? Flintstones. Yeah, Fred and Barney get swallowed by a whale. You don't remember that? I don't remember okay, that. There's an episode of the Flintstones where they get swallowed by, <laughs> and and then Fred uses a I think Fred uses a feather um, to tickle the inside, okay. and it coughs them. It. It, as it says in the King James Version of the Jonah story, vomits them out onto the land. <laughs> Is there any um, connection to the Pinocchio story? That's the other one that I'm just imagining. Probably. Speaking of cartoon probably. characters and, being and by. Plus, plus the Jonah story also connects to you know, like Gilgamesh and, and uh, other sort of epic stories of the past, yeah. which is really interesting because there's really good 
uh, really good research, really good study that suggests that the Jonah story is not real. It's hmm. it's a satire, and it was written. Um, somebody kind of went, oh. Jonah's a prophet that's mentioned here elsewhere in the Bible. Um, let's use him and let's create this story. And right. it became mythical. And and yes, and why? Well, mostly because there's a whale in it, right? Or at least a big fish, whichever. But it doesn't matter. We remember the story because. And from Sunday school, did you ever do the thing where you made the fish and you sat in it? Right. It was like no. a big tent thing with a fan at one end, and you had a yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, that's how we know the story, but. There's a reason why he's in the whale or the fish for three days, which is also a connection to Jesus, right? But, but there's a reason why he's there. And that's the piece that lots of people don't know. And oddly enough, it's part of the story that we're hearing this Sunday. Read the whole story. It's four short chapters that are 20 verses or less. It's a very short book uh, in Hebrew scripture. And uh, it's worth reading the whole thing because essentially what happens is God calls to Jonah and says, go to the people of Nineveh and tell them I'm going to destroy them. Which you'd think is a pretty safe thing given, well, if you are somebody of that era, you would think it's a pretty safe thing because after all, um, uh, Jonah would have been a, a Hebrew prophet and Nineveh is the capital of their enemy, Assyria. So he wanted right? to see them destroyed. They were enemies. He would want to see them destroyed, right? Okay. And so God says, go to, go to Nineveh, be a little bit dangerous. You'd be worried about it, of course. But God says, go to Nineveh and tell them I'm going to destroy them. And not only does he not want to do it, he runs away. And he runs away and gets on a boat. They go out to sea. A storm comes up. The sailors kind of go, ooh, somebody on the boat must be, the gods must be mad at him. Right. And it turns out it's Jonah. And so Jonah says, it's me, I fess up, uh, God is mad at me, throw me overboard, that's the only way you'll be safe. And he knows the sailors in... go, no, we'll protect you, don't worry, we'll take care of you. In the end, they give in and they toss him over, overboard the whole time saying, we're so sorry, God, please forgive us, please forgive us. And they, so they toss him in the sea, and then God saves Jonah but, by sending storm... a big fish. To swallow comes. him, and then the storm stops, right? And he's in the belly of the so, fish. And he's in the belly of the fish for three days, uh, during which he prays to God and says, uh, basically, uh, save me, please, and uh, hear me call to you, ironically, and save me, and uh, I'll go do it. And so uh, the fish vomits him up on the land. <laughs> I love saying that. Uh, and you can only just imagine what he would look like at this point. Yeah, and then he um, starts hiking But he to goes off to Nineveh, which is a city that's so big, it takes three days to walk across it, it says in the story. And he gets to Nineveh, and he's, he walks about a day in and says uh, something like, uh, in 40 days, God's going to destroy Nineveh. That's it. He doesn't say why or how or any, just 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. And you can assume, of course, then the Assyrians, uh, his enemies who live in Nineveh, would have beaten him senseless with a stick and thrown him out of town, laughing the whole time and saying, yeah, we're good, thanks. But in fact, what happens is they instantly repent. <laughs> 
they decide to repent and there's a whole thing about there's a whole thing about how uh, the people put on sackcloth and and fast they refuse to eat and uh, they even the king declares that even the animals have to wear sackcloth and and fast right so it's not just the people but even the animals too just right? in case <laughs> Excuse Cover me. All our bases. Just in case, <laughs> um, it's they're that committed to it, right? And so, as a result of which, God decides not to destroy Nineveh, which annoys Jonah, who's now mad because they're his enemy. And and not only is he mad because God's not going to destroy him, he says, "This is why I ran away and didn't want to do it. It's because I knew you were going to forgive them." And they deserve this. And then he goes and sits on a hill and watches the city just, I'm guessing, to just see that they do follow through or, you know, whatever's going to happen. And so he's sitting there in the sun. So, so here's how the story ends. God grows a tree to offer him shade, right? But then in the night, God sends a worm to eat the tree and the tree dies and then Jonah's mad about that. And the story ends with God saying to Jonah, so you're mad because this tree is dead, a tree you didn't take care of and had nothing to do with. And I'm concerned about the, these 100, and, I think it's 120,000 people who live in the city of Nineveh um, who don't even know what they're doing and need to repent. And boom, that's the end of the story. There's no, so does Jonah learn something? Does he change his ways? Does he forgive them? Does he, like, there's no, nothing after that, hmm. right? And does the repentance even stick? So Do it they... leaves it hanging <laughs> yeah, is you the just thing, have to, right? Yes. And historically, we know that sometime after that, Nineveh is conquered, right? Because the Assyrians are conquered as... Right. Sooner or later, everybody is in those those days, um, but but there's no explanation of of whether they stuck with their commitment. You know how the whole sackcloth with the animals thing turned out and the fasting stuff. <laughs> there's no did Jonah change his mind? Did Jonah learn something from this? There's nothing. So what do you think the point of the story is? It's about forgiveness. It's about uh, it's about no. Let me say that differently. It's about mercy and compassion leading to forgiveness. Um, I think, I think, I think it's about, I, I think the point of the story is revealing to us that we're Jonah, not because we reject God or refuse to do what God wants. We're Jonah because the only reason Jonah wanted the Assyrians punished is because they're his enemy. He didn't it's, know them. It's like, it's like, for lack of a better way of, dis, uh, better way to describe this, it's like in contemporary politics where conservatives hate liberals. And liberals hate conservatives. Why? Well, because they're liberals or because they're conservative. But why? Yeah. <laughs> right? You, you, why, why, even if you have different ideologies, why would you not want to work with? Why do you feel the need to belittle somebody because they're conservative or belittle somebody because they're liberal? Why? What? What causes you to simply like close off your mind to hearing what somebody has to say because you put a label on them? We do that. We do that all the time. Um, 
it, it think of the people think of the people right now who are thinking that the Republican Party needs to be punished because they're Republicans. Like anybody who carries the name Republican, let alone anybody who now carries the name Trump, right? Right. Um, and and there's a few. It was a family enterprise, <laughs> right? Um, and they they must be punished, right? It's why it's how how people in certain parts of Canada hate Trudeau. It's his name. It doesn't and really have anything to do with his ideas party. or anything. Yeah. Or and, and and yes, he's liberal. That's like double whammy. Um, but but what if like so? What you're saying is, if he had a good idea about something, just because it's coming from Trudeau and he's a liberal, you wouldn't agree. You wouldn't want to do it. Well, yes, actually, that is what's happening, right? And that that's what ha what's happening in the U.S. too is Republicans outright rejected Democrat ideas because they had the power. And you know, it's those socialist lefties, right? Now the shoe's on the other foot. It'll be interesting to see how this goes because it is literally on the other foot. Now the Democrats are in the position to say, are we going to listen to Republicans or are we simply going to dismiss them as right-wing fundamentalist loonies? Yeah. Just because they're Republicans. And, or should and, we hear out their ideas first? And even worse than that, make them pay because of how and the last four years pay, have been. Right? They deserve to be punished now. Yeah. But wait a minute. They need to be held accountable and they need to have there need to be some consequences. Justice. Absolutely. Yeah. But that needs to be justice, not revenge. Not retribution. Um, it needs and it needs to be done with compassion and uh an attempt at understanding uh, and and mercy, right? That's that's the the thing the thing about the Jonah story is that, that you know I, I I often tell I often tell stories, especially stories about Jesus, right? Like we get a little vignette of Jesus encounters somebody, something happens. It's usually a miracle story or a healing story or something, and then Jesus moves on, and we hear nothing else about that person, right? Um, and I like to kind of go. So what do you suppose happened to that person next? Hmm. What'd they do? The, the Magi who visit Jesus, uh, who, you know, they, that's part of the epiphany story. We're in the season of epiphany. They see the star, they follow the star. Jesus is revealed to them. And then they go home another way is how their story ends. So what happened to them after they had this experience, after they had this tremendous journey and this experience, this epiphany experience, what happened to them? What did they do next? They're on this whole new path, and we don't get to hear the story. <laughs> so what happened to Jonah? Yeah. What happened to the people in the city of Nineveh who seemed in this story to literally flick a switch and change their lives? What happened? Yeah. Did Jonah also flick a switch? Because that's it's interesting when you said that earlier about willingness, and perhaps willingness is the switch, right, um, that you flick that allows the energy to flow. Well, it appears that the the arch enemy of the quote unquote hero of the story, the arch enemy, are the ones who are willing to do that. And which is a hard thing to wrap your head around in the sense that what what are the other missing pieces of that story in between the lines that would have Jonah walk into this enormous city that takes three days to walk across and have 120,000 people instantly change all of their ways just on the word of one person who's their sworn enemy. Right. So and doesn't and, and likely and didn't course, even believe in the same gods as them, right? Like would they yeah, have even had Right. So it was sworn enemy, 
Um, no the, credibility. And, and Assyrians were notoriously uh, nasty people to deal with. <laughs> like they're they they as conquerors they were they were mean. merciless. They yeah. were merciless. They were they were. Uh, you did not want to run across them. So they would right? have just killed them and, when you walked. So when you, the moment yeah, you walked in, and yet they don't. And, and they listen it's to not their God. Yeah. And they listen to him anyway. None um, of it makes sense. So what? Yeah, it doesn't. And which is all the more reason why it's maybe a satire and not an actual occurrence. Right. Um, it's just a story, but it's not just a story. There's no such thing as a just a story in the Bible. There's, there's a point. Right. Um, and, and, and I, you know, the, the thing here is that the, the person who's supposed to, the prophet, right? The person who's supposed to, whose job is to, is to, um, to, to shine a light on things that need to change, um, is, is the, the one who doesn't want to change apparently, mm. <laughs> right? He just wants to keep going on hating and being angry with the Assyrians. Um, and, and we don't find out whether he changes or not. What we do find is that the people that, we're supposed to be the ones who are angry and hateful do. Right. Right. Um, and, and so who are you, who are we in the story? Yeah. Who are we in the story? Do we have our um, head in the there's sand? There's a and... lot of Jonah's yeah. in the world. Um, and, and, uh, and now, now in particular, there's so much happening right now where it is definitely being revealed that there are a lot of Jonah's in the world. Um, and not just in politics, uh, in in all, uh, in so many ways, um, we we seem to we seem to have lost track of the fact that individuality is important in the context of community. Mm. Those two things go together. They're, they're, that's how it works. We create community by recognizing and being open to. Uh, connecting with the individuality of the individuals within the community, right? Mm-hmm. That's what creates it. That's what that that's what brings a sense of belonging. It's not just that you feel like you fit in; um, it's that you bring something to the community that you can share with others that changes them as much as what they bring to you changes you, right? It's interactive, um, and and in order to do that, we we maybe need to flick that willingness switch to be open to the the energy which connects us all flowing between us and instead what we so often do like jonah is we flick the switch to off and we just want to see them we just want to see them be punished because they're our enemy right it feels that's e- how that's what conflict is about it's not about resolution it's about victory yeah and really i think that comes from a deep need for just survival like uh, and the instinct to survive is to win right at at all costs to make sure that you get to live Mm. to fight another day and and so it's hard to turn off that that almost animal instinct that we still have in our brains to like even and it unfortunately shows up in the most important places the most important intimate relationships that we have we are. We would rather be right and win yeah. in the argument, yeah. even if it hurts the other person, than to to bring uh, healing and harmony yeah. to that situation. So, so how does how does this work then? For the we 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 don't have any idea what happens to Jonah. Um, 
whether he whether he sees the light, um, whether he flicks the switch, whether whatever happens with Jonah, we don't have even how how long does he uh, stay there sitting on the hill under the shade of this dying tree that the worm has attacked <laughs> before he decides to to head home. Yeah, um, yeah. We we don't know we we don't actually know whether the whole repentance thing sticks, right? But it's it's just a story. So let's 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 conclude the story where it concludes. Um, we we don't know what happens to the character that is probably us. We do know what happens to the characters that are clearly not us, right? They change their ways. Yeah. Why? And what can I like? What can I take away from that that might help me? Right, and this is the point. Instead of seeing the two stories as a contrast, this is the point where I think. This connects with the story of Jesus calling the first disciples. Okay. And it's got nothing to do with the fish either, <laughs> by the way. I but know the, it seems the, like they're both connected by fish also. Is it the piece um, of being called? But the thing is, I think I think one of the reasons... Uh, first of all, I think... Uh, I'm, let's just acknowledge that quite often biblical stories are far too simplistic. They're way more complicated than they seem. They're being told simply in order to make a point. Um, and, and I, I, I'm, I know the story is way more complicated. In fact, at times I've said that story, the thing about that story about Jesus calling the fisherman, um, is that, uh, it seems to ignore the fact that really, um, the world was a small place in those days. It still is. Uh, it's just how we connect. Right. Um, and in all likelihood, if Jesus had been about, um, preaching and teaching um, enough that John the Baptist knew who he was now. Um, in all likelihood, these fishermen would have heard of this guy, Jesus, right? The other thing is that it's entirely possible also that Jesus didn't just walk down to the seashore, see somebody, point at them and go, follow me. He might have stopped and had a conversation. He might have said some things to them. He might have, in fact, in one of the stories he does, he tells them to go out and they haven't caught anything and he tells them to go back out mm -hmm. again, right? Mm -hmm. um, in one of the versions of that story. So there may well have been more interaction than we were given. Even then, there is no reason why they would just get up and walk away from their life career, right? In those days, what you did is what you did. Except, I think here's a couple of things to think about. And I think this is how it relates to that whole thing of the people in Nineveh flicking a switch and changing their ways. One is when, right? This story in Mark, the story of Jesus coming to, to, uh, uh, to, meet the disciples for the first time. Um, this little piece of the story kind of begins with, um, like he's, he's been out and he'd been baptized by John. He went out in the wilderness, you know, the Lenten story. And then he comes back. Um, John gets arrested and, um, Jesus begins, uh, teaching and preaching. Uh, it's time basically. In fact, I think Mark says at this time, hmm. this is Jesus basically got down to business. Exactly. So he starts fulfilling. <laughs> so he got down to business. Yeah. So one of the first thing he does is get followers, right? And so how does he do that? Well, maybe he connects with people who also think it's time for a change. Like maybe, maybe those first disciples were open to something different, hmm. especially when it was framed to them as it's not really going to be all that different. You're going to fish for people, right? You're fishermen. Mm -hmm. or I'm going to use your natural skills. 
and we'll do some stuff. We're just going to apply it over here. The other thing is, the other thing is, I think it's also worth considering that somehow um, Jesus accessed their factory setting. Say more about that. Um, I, I routinely use that expression. In fact, initially I said default setting, and then somebody pointed out to me that factory setting is probably better, and I can't remember who. I wish I could because <laughs> I'd credit them with it. Um, but somebody pointed out that factory setting is a better expression of that. I think we're created in the image of God and of the earth. That's the genesis, the gist of the Genesis story um, in, in the whole creation story. However you, how literally or not literally you want to interpret it, the point of the story is that we are both divine and of the earth. That's what humanity is all about, mm-hmm. right? So, therefore, our factory setting is good, right? Um, because we are divine, and so uh, I think Jesus accessed their factory setting. Is that Jesus somehow connected with the deepest um, deep within them? Their highest good. Their their highest good. Their their how whatever language you want to use to describe that. Um, that we always like. I'm always talking about how. Um, you know, things like, um, we can do Jesusing because Jesus is in us. God is in Mm -hmm. us. We are divine and of the earth. God is in you. The point of Jesus is to show us as how, how as human beings, we are both divine and, and of the earth and how to access that. So, because we can do what Jesus did. It's not a question of let's hold Jesus at a distance and hold him up as the example that we'll never be able to achieve. The point of Jesus is that he's right next to you showing you, yes, you can. That's the point. And the way that happens is that Jesus figures out how to get into your factory setting and get you back on track so that you are living out the good that is in you. Well, that kind of also uh, makes the point from that story that it wasn't those specific people that, you know, they have what it takes to be disciples. And it really had to be these 12. I mean, it it leads me anyway to, to think, okay, so if if that's how he was going about it, and that's what Jesus was doing, was tapping into their factory setting uh, of being good by default, he could have picked any group of people. Jesus, uh, by all by all sort of reasoning, we suspect that Jesus, uh, going into ministry at 30 and knowing nothing about him before that, would have been a carpenter because his dad was a carpenter. Mm-hmm. Or uh, the, the, I think the technical term that's in the Bible is more like um, somebody who does construction, right? Um, not specifically carpentry, but somebody who a builder. builds, yeah. a builder, right? That Jesus, why didn't he choose builders? <laughs> why didn't he choose carpenters? Why fishermen? Other than that's a pretty cool way of, although, you know what? If he'd chosen carpenters, he could have said, come with me and I will make you build up people. Um, right? I mean, there are different ways that you could use that same metaphor, but whoever wrote that story or told that story first, um, the, the fish thing really worked. Mm. Not so much these days when we use fishing for people in a more sarcastic way. <laughs> um, but, but he could have picked carpenters or builders. He could have picked, uh, anybody and somehow worked in that same idea. The point was, um, he connected with them who they are 
how they are and what they do and moved them into another place with it. And instantly their lives were different. And instantly their lives were different. They dropped everything. Was it the flick of a switch and they were instantly holy? No. The process was just beginning, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, how we circle back to the whole thing with the inauguration. The the day is great. Celebrate Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But when you flick that switch, all you've done is open the gate to let the energy out, right, in order to get the work done. And, and that's, that's the thing about, the, uh, that's the, thing about uh, uh, the Jonah story, too, is it seems like they just flicked a switch and began to repent. But what happens? Well, Jonah goes and sits on the hillside to see what's going to happen. So it's not like they flicked a switch and instantly the world was a different and better place. They simply began their journey of repentance. Right. Right. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's what's happening now, right? They're beginning that. Uh, and, and I'm not necessarily suggesting that it's a journey of repentance for everyone. Um, but it's, it's a journey nonetheless of making the world a different transformation place. and change. transformation. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and that was what was happening with the disciples too. It was just the beginning, but yet you had to make the change to get it started. Right. Yeah. There's a, it's a really interesting duality. I think it's a great topic that we landed on for this first episode of this new year and this like fourth season in the in the podcast and the show because it's so fundamental to who we are as humans and in and to our human experience this duality of uh the the present moment like this idea that there is only the present moment the past doesn't exist the future doesn't exist we kind of touched on that at the very beginning and how really there's only now and so you want to change something in your life well you there is no tomorrow to do it you got to just make the change now you have to inst- you you transform it and and we can do that we can instantly change our thinking about someone who we're at odds with or about the outgoing president or whatever the case may be. But the other side of that duality is that it also takes time. It's also this, it's about the, the journey, not the, yeah. the, the, the goal or the destination, right? Or the, I love that back to the poem from the inauguration. She says, we are a country that's not broken. It's just not finished. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it's a beautiful image for us as humans and yeah. for us as communities and for us as a, as, a, as, as a Christian faith, as people, as spiritual beings, that we're not perfect, but we're not broken. We're just not finished. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it takes work to get there. But at the same time, that work, each moment that we're putting in that work, we're doing it in that present moment, that, that singularity of that, that presentness. Yeah. And it's a it's a weird one to wrap your your brain around that duality but it's it's just the the weird nature of of time and the human experience in this life that we're sharing yeah it somebody had uh i saw somebody had uh, shared something about or posted something about that that whole idea of living in the moment and there was a little bit of a back and forth with somebody else about how um we live we we do live in the moment but that moment uh, occurs because the past has brought me here and I'm going somewhere else. Like, like you can't, you can't be like, that's, that's such a, there's so many memes and, you know, quotes and stuff about living in the moment and all that kind of stuff and how you can't live in the past and you can't live in the future. You can only live in the moment, but in living in the moment, you are in fact incorporating those other two. Mm-hmm. 
um, that, 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 because it's, we're alive. Yeah. And what other way we're, could, we're alive. What yeah. other way is there that it could be? That's yeah. Right. There, like, there is no other way. <laughs> um, I mean, you can, and, and that's the thing about living in the moment doesn't mean ignoring the past and it doesn't mean ignoring the future. It means taking them both into consideration mm. in the moment. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's, we have a, we have a, we have a, an interesting relationship with time. Um, uh, and yet it's the only thing that we have. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, yes. Um, and, and, and these are, in fact, we, we, te- we even expand our understanding. It's another one of those things, right? Where we, um, uh, it's words, um, I, I a couple of weeks ago or last week I forget. Anyway, one of the one of the Sundays uh, the learning together. So I, I quoted Princess Bride. There are so many important quotes from Princess Bride, <laughs> um, but but not the one not the one you're probably instantly thinking of. But in fact, the one of uh, I I do not think that word means what you think it means. Yeah, uh, and we we run into that so often. Um, we use and time is another one, right? These are the times that we are living in. What? <laughs> what does that mean exactly? Um, you know, it, it, we, our relationship with time is is many multi-layered, multifaceted. Our way of understanding it, um, and and uh, again, that that's another one of those things where another one of those moments too, where you go, um, you can. You can flick. I like the way you had said that earlier about willingness, um, because you can flick the switch that's willingness or openness, whatever language, whatever word you want to use there. But what happens when you flick that switch is uh, openness, willingness that lets the energy flow, mm-hmm. right? That connects the energy within you with the energy outside you and, and makes something happen. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the switch that gets flicked. Um, it's not like you've, and, and it's like, it's like going into a darkened room. You flick the switch, the light illuminates the room. You don't see the light itself. You see what it shines on just, just like with Jesus. Right. Um, and with the whole idea of epiphany, uh, it's the point of the light is what it shines on. It's not meant to blind you. And we do often get blinded, um, blinded by the light. That's a song I'm pretty sure. Um, but, but that's, I think that's those, those things are so, uh, intricately related, right? It's, it's part of the whole, um, fabric thing. There are so many threads and we need them all. Otherwise the fabric is weakened, Mm -hmm. right? We need them all. Um, and, uh, I, I, you know, that's that Jonah story, um, more people should read the whole damn story and not focus on the freaking whale. <laughs> That's a good reminder. And you said it's what, four chapters long only? It's four chapters. And each, bearing in mind, I mean, we, we made it into chapters and stuff, but it's so short. Those four chapters have less than 20 verses each, I think. Hmm. And if, if they have more, it's like 22 or something. I don't know. But it's very short. You could read it in like two minutes. Um, it's worth reading um, because it's it's not... It's the story's not about being swallowed by a fish. There's more to it. Mm, it sounds like it's. And there it's, always is more to it. And it's not even just uh, more than just the the aspect of listening to being called, right? Like yeah. the, there's that connection to the gospel story that we talked about for sure in the calling. And Jonah does kind of run away from 
that calling or running away from that, that in, even if you think of it as uh, not a, a literal voice of God, but an intuition that like, this well, is what you're meant to do. Yeah. He's running away from that. That's a big part of the story, but it's about all the other pieces that we, we talked so about even, too. Even I, like I've even, I am, you know, I'm thinking of ministers I know who've been ministers for 40 and 50 years. Um, but, but, um, even I've done the 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 sermon that all ministers have done on this story of calling the disciples who are fishermen, where they simply hear the word and drop everything and go, um, because that is almost never a minister's call. Like if you ask a minister to tell their call story, you know how they knew they should be a minister. It n almost never anymore begins with, "I heard the voice of the Lord." summoning me and so I went. That's not how it goes. It usually involves um, a, a journey of some kind of figuring out what you were, your way and finding your way. And then in, in a lot of cases, my own included, running away from it for a period <laughs> of time, um, not necessarily into a fish, but, um, but running away from the it desert, and maybe? coming back to it. But, and, and there's a word for that whole process, discernment, right? Yeah. It's, well, yeah. Um, or running time. away. Discernment um, takes time. Yeah, you, you need to you you need to be discerning about your call, um, and uh, I, I don't think that strictly just applies to ministers either. Frankly, I think anybody who understands what they do in life as a vocation. I I've told the story so many times. I'm probably getting in trouble for telling it so many times. But um, when I first came here. I, I met a, somebody who is a, a, in the congregation who had recently retired from farming, and we had a really great conversation about how farming, too, is a vocation. You can go in your house at the end of the day, but it's still there. It's still part of who you are. And even when you retire and, you know, you could move into a city, you're still a farmer. Mm -hmm. It's a vocation. It's, it's your life's work, right? Um, and there are so many things that are like that. Mm -hmm. And there are so many people who live that life of vocation. And there are sadly so many people who don't. They live a life of doing what they do rather than what they wish they were doing or, or know they should be doing, right? Yeah. Because it's, the, it's a job, you know? And, and there are, I'm not saying they should quit their jobs and, you know, pursue their dreams. But we but all are. Um, but because that's very complicated. Yeah. But, but so is discerning your vocation. Yeah. And I think that we are all called to yeah. explore that. We are We're all... called to live out the life that is us. That's, yeah, right? beautiful way of putting and it. And for some people, that's ministry. For some people, it's farming. For some people, it's medicine or, or you know, anything, even Oh, God forbid politics. Um, but it's, it's so many, it, it can be because it's you, it's living out what's you. And that's the thing where I think this comes back to the um, getting in touch with your factory setting. Um, because your factory setting isn't just good. It isn't just finding God in you. It's actually, that is what it is. It's finding the God that's in you. It's finding the good that's in you. Uniquely. Your yeah. good. Yeah. Uniquely you. Right, um, that's what it's about, and that's that's the journey of the the disciples mm. with Jesus is, and and it just begins here, right? And in fact, in fact, um, like there's that other story of Jesus calling the first disciples uh, in the Gospel of John, where the come and see story, right? Um, and then there's this one where Jesus calls the first disciples, but I don't think any of the Gospels tell twelve stories. Right? There's twelve disciples. Mm. There should be twelve call <laughs> stories. Yeah. 
And even if you group them together, Andrew and, and Simon are the first two in the fish story, right? The fisherman story. But they're different people. They can't have exactly the same response. No doubt they, they themselves would tell the story differently. They would tell the story differently because it's their story. There ought to be 12 stories. Yeah. Right? And, and th- there isn't. Because at some point, I'm sure whoever was writing all of this stuff down kind of went, yeah, I'm good with the first one. It makes a point. Let's move on. <laughs> um, but, but everyone has a story like that. And even to tell the story about Nineveh, and, and again, I know it's probably made up in a satire, but that's 120 different stories. 120,000. 120,000 yeah. different stories. And that's just the people. Don't forget there were animals who repented also. <laughs> um, anyway. And Jonah's story. The, the, point, the, the, the important point to remember in that, though, is that everyone's story is not, everyone's story is going to be different. It's going to be, nope, wrong word. Everyone's story is going to be uniquely theirs. And, and even, you know, as we talk about things like the inauguration, we talk about the way people treat each other, um, the way uh, we now have kind of found ourselves in this, I've labeled that person, and now I think I know everything about them because I labeled them. Yeah. Um, that's not right. It's not true. Um, and, and I mean true in the biggest sense of true. What would be true is to find out who they are, to get to know them, realizing that at no time will we ever completely know them, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And they will never completely know us. But if we can at least open the door a bit on it, we can work together and we can do we can do things. Yeah. Well, this uh, beautiful thing about this podcast that I really love is that we get to do that through these relatively short conversations and. We're going to be exploring some really neat stories of other people that we've never heard from at all before. Some new guests that we've got uh, lined up or or hoping to bring onto the show, and uh, it's kind of fits right into that, doesn't it? That yeah. through a, you know a forty-five minute or an hour-long conversation with someone, uh, even if it's over Zoom, uh, which some of them will have to be, uh, we can get a glimpse into at least a little piece of people's story whether it be about their calling or just wherever they're at in their spiritual journey yeah um thanks for this robin this was really fun to get back at it again and explore a couple of stories together drink some coffee yeah and uh thank you everybody uh, for listening who joined us today and wherever you're at in your spiritual journey we hope that you're coping well um in the pandemic and getting through this winter or if you're listening to this and it's july then (laughs) that's fine too but thank you for being here and listening time's relative man exactly yeah um but uh, yeah until we catch you next time take care and be well